0: we talking about before we turn 30, which if I was to boil it down, my job today is to say, what do we want to see happen in the next 10 years? And if I'm going to be really honest with you, this kind of message creates anxiety in me. It, it, it makes me anxious because um, some of the experience I've had in, in the past with this sort of thing. So back in the 70s and 80s, um, I was in university and my course of study included a bunch of classes on leadership, and one of the things they talked about over and over again was goals and objectives. And it was, I mean, it was good stuff. It was, it was, you know, what's the difference between goal and objective, and you have to be measurable and attainable, and all these kinds of good values, and you know, working that out in terms of in terms of planning. And then after I finished university and f- eventually got to seminary and finished seminary, I went to a church and was there in 1989 is when I started. In 1990 this church realized that we were 10 years away from what? 1990, 10 years away from, yeah, 2000. So so they go, well, we need, That's what kind of church are we going to be in the year 2000? right? And so they, they organized these meetings to create plans for what should happen between then and the year 2000, what kind of church they're going to be. And I remember going to a retreat center And camping out for two days with people talking and talking and talking, and people are taking notes. And then I remember the people who were responsible for writing it all down wrote it all down, and eventually they they published. I'm talking about weeks and months of work. They published a document that was called Vision 2000, and it literally glowed like that, right? I mean, it was all this is from God. We're going to be this church. It's going to be so exciting. And here's what I noticed. The closer we got to 2000, I didn't make it because 1997, we started Crosswinds, right? But the closer we got to the year 2000, the less we heard about Vision 2000. Right? That's the sort of experience that makes you go, hmm. (laughs) Just hmm. You know, we we wasted, we put all that time in. Was there anything good that, that came out of it. And now here we are together in Crosswinds 20, and I get the responsibility of saying, what's going to happen before we turn 30, right? Right? It's going to be one of those moments where Doug's going to reveal to us what will be when we're, we're 30 years old. And if you have any brains at all and you hear that kind of stuff, you go, hmm. Hmm, this is going to be an interesting message. And, and you know, but but yet yeah, we've got to talk about these things. So I'm going to be really... Um, as crystal clear as I can about dreams for the future here. So so setting goals always starts by knowing the mission, right? You don't set goals without knowing, what are we trying to accomplish? Who are we? So let me just remind you the mission of Crosswinds is to convince people. There's two parts to it. To convince people of the relevancy of God is part number one, right? And and here's what's kind of behind that. Is that it's, I don't think it's that most people don't believe in God, although that's a growing population. I think most people don't realize that God is even relevant. They they kind of subscribe to well he probably exists but I've never engaged I've never had an experience I grew up going to church but I've left that now because it was relevant irrelevant to my life and so when they're when the the, the searches is, is not just is there a God but does it matter that the, does he is he personal does he relate to us so we said hey we need to convince people that the relevancy that God loves us that he's here that he, Christ died on the cross for us, that there's a different kind of life and a better kind of life that he's calling us to live in relationship with him, right? Because otherwise, just believing that God exists is irrelevant, no different than anybody else, right? And then, and then the second thing, path to our mission statement is to lead them in becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. And we always emphasize the lead them part because leaders go first. It means we're not saying, and you need to do this. We're saying, and this is the process we're involved in. Each of us responsible for ourselves to lead others to become fully. De- we got to do it first. We go first, and it's about becoming what we're not yet, more fully devoted to Christ. And I, this is something I'll probably chase my whole life. I don't think there's a landing strip where I go and now I'm 100% fully devoted because it's always competing with Doug because I'm fully committed to Doug. Don't don't ever doubt that. Right? I'm fully devoted to me, myself, but I have to learn to give that up. And so God is competing with my devotion for me to him, and I've been in this transference progress for a long time. Now, you heard in the drama this this BHAG thing. And it was funny last night because um, some people thought it was a word that we actually made up, right? In fact, it's not a word, an acronym, right? But it really does stand for big, hairy, audacious goals, and that's um, and those are called BHAGs. And if you're if you're in leadership circles, I know – how many of you actually have heard of it before walking in here? Like, you see the hands going up, and others of you thought it was just make-believe. Wow, these people are creative, BHAGs. Right? It actually came from a book called Built to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies, written by James Collins. Some of you are familiar with some of his other books, like Good to Great. And then um, Jerry Porras, who I don't know what else he's written, so he's obscurity land. Right? But this b thing, when it came out in 1994, kind of grabbed the leadership circle and going, we need to do that. We need to have big, hairy, audacious goals that are are you know, people can wrap themselves around and devote themselves to and plan for and make happen. So let me tell you the good part of a BHAG. The good part of a BHAG is that someone is planning a preper- preferred future. Right? There's a group of people. It's a really good thing to sit down. In fact, we're actually going to be doing this in the months to come. Sit down and go, so what do we really want to look like? What are our what are our goals? What do we need to prove? What do we need? It's kind of a vision thing. But somebody in every every group, including family to Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, anything you do, school and church, business. Someone needs to think about what do we want our future to look like? What's a preferred future? Because then you you can build around it. And, and you got to believe me. If no one's thinking about, no one's making plans, no one is involved in the planning process, things start to fall apart even when there's just two of you. Watch this. So did you
1: say you were going to make dinner? I couldn't remember.
0: <laughs> what?
1: you should take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know. And, what, now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on. And you know what? I can't continue to live like this because it's not me. Hey, hey, relax. It's gonna be all right. How? Here, I'll just show you. Okay, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what, but any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow the next day they're just clean, folded and in a perfect (laughs) pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either. But it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you. I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Try it. You'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything you leave on this coffee table just vanishes overnight. Sure enough, the next day, it's all gone. just vanished. It's magic. No, she wouldn't have left me. This is what I think happened. I heard her get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or something. She must have fallen onto the magic coffee table and just vanished. Are you insane? No, he's not insane. I've got the same coffee table at home.
0: Okay, wait, come back to me now, all right? See, what she wants is a preferred future. She wants some planning to be done, she wants some steps to be taken. And, and the fact is, nothing happens without planning. She was trying to engage in that conversation. And, um, and by the way, guys, it's not magic, <laughs> you know? It's, I just, men took a beating, but I noticed that men were laughing hard. Good job, <laughs> all right? So planning is critical for, for everybody. When we talk about what do we want things to be in 10 years, we're really saying, so what are we planning? What, are we, what future are, are, we, are we choosing? And planning, I don't want you to lose this, planning is a really good thing. It's an important thing, it's a biblical thing. Proverbs fifteen twenty-two says plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. It means you know the bigger thing you lead, the more people ought to be involved in it and get some wisdom as you engage in plans for the future. Right? Proverbs twenty eighteen says, Plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. There's practical advice for you. Don't start a war, right? Without good advice. Don't start your battles. Don't choose your battles in life even. And we're not just talking about war, but whatever you're going to do in life, you know, you want to surround yourself with some wise advice. But the point I'm trying to make is just this plans are taken for granted. You know, and, the, and saying, we, make plans. Think about the future. It's, it's important. I mean, who would build a building without planning? And Jesus kind of asked this question. He goes, hey, you know, would, before you build a house, make sure you have enough funds to cover it. And he wasn't giving building advice, he was just saying, same thing with following jesus right make sure that you're ready there's a high cost to it this a big step before you walk into it but he was saying who would ever build without doing some math with who's, who would ever build something without doing some planning if you do it's you're in danger of being embarrassed because you're halfway down run out of money and there the building sits as a monument to your bad planning right we don't want our lives to be monuments to bad planning we don't want the church to be a monument to bad planning so there's another way of I've learned certain phrases about planning in, in my life that I just remember. I think they're kind of cliches. So I'm going to see if I start. See if anybody can finish this. If you aim at nothing, you you'll surely hit it. <laughs> yeah, if you aim at nothing, you will hit nothing. Right? You'll accomplish nothing. If you don't plan, if you don't focus. Uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. Right? I know they're, they're, they're cliche, but they stuck with me. And, and they're inside of me. They go, part of how I'm wired, they go, man, we've got to think about that. We've got to make some plans for that. We've got to take some steps to make it happen. So here's the point. Not a very complicated one. Planning's good. And the ability to plan is a gift from God. Right? I mean, from very creation. It's, I think it's made in God's image. Part of the Genesis message in the beginning when he said, let there be, let there be, let there be, he was just doing what he planned. You know, he had to think of it before he did it, before he created it, and he, he put it into action. So the good part of, of a BHAG, that whole big, hairy, audacious goals, is that someone is planning a preferred future, but there's also a danger to this whole BHAG movement that has been, existed in churches and other companies. And the danger, from a Christian standpoint, is pretentious planning. Right. So, so as we plan, the danger is, we can become all about our plans. We can become all about the ones who thought of the plans and be focused on, on us. And that's the danger that James is worried about when he writes to the early church. You remember James is the brother of Jesus, and he was writing to believers, people who were actually following Jesus, and he said, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. Okay, right? hey, you're making plans. These are business plans you're making. You will do business there, and you will make a profit. Hey, let's go. We're going to make a lot of money. This is a bunch of people scheming. We're going to go to this town. We'll live there for a year. We'll soak them, and we'll take their money, and then we'll we'll go do something else. And James goes, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. Sort of like the joke I make. You know, Hey, let's make our 10-year plans. Of course, I don't even know if I'll be alive in 10 years. I don't know if I'll have my brain still in 10 years. You people are pushing me, right? It's it's that sort of thing. How do you know what your life is going to be like tomorrow? You guys are making your plans. You're saying you're going to do this. And he said, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to. Okay, now this is a paradigm shift for me. I think it will be for some of you as, as, as well. Because it's not, so here's how some people apply this verse. Before they say any future statement, they always say, if the Lord wills it. If it's God's will, and then they'll say whatever they're going to do. And it's sort of like, if you do that over and over again mechanically like that, it's sort of like when someone sneezes, you say, which means nothing. You really aren't asking God to bless that person because they just sneezed. Okay, maybe one of you out of a million. But honestly, it's just words out of your mouth. God bless you. You know, kind of, a, kind of a moment. It has no meaning, no substance, and that's what can happen with anything that you repeat over and over and over again. It becomes meaningless. But I've known Christians who, well, if the Lord wills it, if the Lord, will, it sounds spiritual, but it's just words unless it's really from your heart and it's really a perspective of life, right? Because hey, you're making your plans, but please, in all your planning, you've got to submit them to God. You've got to say, God, if this is, if this is what you want. I'm not just making plans without you. If this reflects where you want us to go, I'm seeking that first, then then maybe these things can happen. But I'm going to make my plans, God, but please, don't let me screw up. All right, so here's what he says. He says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live. How's that for ground floor level? We'll be alive. If the Lord wants us tomorrow, we're going to, if we're alive, right, which seems weird because we take growing old for granted. Unless you got cancer. And then all of a sudden, you go, well, in two years, if I'm alive. Because it changes your perspective. People in impoverished countries don't take the future for, there are countries where they don't name their babies for two years. Because they don't know if they're going to live for two years. Right? This baby is such a wonderful gift from God. And at age three, if the Lord wills it. If. They're alive. I mean, it's a different perspective. We all live in the exact same world, same God, same place, but we've lost that because, because we're in danger of arrogance and security from other things. We've lost our connection sometimes. So if if the Lord wants us to, we will live, and we will do this or that. Right? Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. You become self-reliant. You forget get your connection with God. And when you're talking about the future, it's a really good thing to stay tight. Dependent, submissive to God, because all such boasting is evil, you're not even meaning to boast like that, but yet you are right And he says, remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. And he goes on to say that reveal that he's actually speaking to wealthy, prosperous people and how they're misusing their wealth. so in planning circles, I think what God is calling us to as a church when we start thinking about the future. And about our own in our own lives is just a really totally different way of thinking. Most people think you have not because you planned not and you didn't carry out your plans. If you just had good, if you just had good plans, if you're a good planner and you're good at administration and you put this to everything, you line it up and you set the first domino up and you flip it, then you get your outcome. And 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 scripture says, oh, be careful with that. Go ahead and line your dominoes up. Go ahead and make your plans but before you even flip anything say hey god is this where you want me to go is this what you want me to do cuz i don't even know if i'm going to be alive tomorrow i don't even know my future i make these plans don't let me be arrogant don't let me become presumptuous right so behags versus god willing dreams because i think behags by their very nature lend towards pretentious planning right so now i'm going to become very transparent with you when i first sat down to this message i was behagging it okay and I'm going to just say it was dumb Doug time, okay? And I'm going to reveal three dumb Doug BHAGs, okay? You're going to gonna go, man, Doug, you're not that smart. I know. I'm just going to tell you that that's where we are, okay? But and then I'm going to go, as I wrestled with it, how God said, no, I, know, I mean, I'm going to blame God, but how I hope God is telling me, no, reveal it this way. At least I'm going to call them God-willing dreams. God-willing dreams for our church, okay? So BHAG number one, there's going to be five of them. That first part, this is going to be church stuff, that first part, it's not only church stuff, but it's it's your life. It's all of our lives individually. It should change the way we think about our own futures. You, know, you can apply it to more than us, in other words. Behave number one, in the next 10 years, we will grow from an average attendance of near 500 to 1,500. See, last night they laughed at that. Maybe Saturday night crowds a little smaller, you know. <laughs> they just go, really? We're gonna triple in 10 years? You know, they're like, right, come on. And, and we're all going to gather around this warrior praying around. That's a hag. It's big. It's audacious. It's everybody surrounds themselves. And the goal becomes 1,500. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think that's a God-honoring approach to this. It's a dumb-dug approach to this. Right? I hope this is better. God willing, dream number one, we grow bigger. We grow numerically because I think healthy things grow, right? How can we help it? We just invite, if this is going good, we'll invite people and we'll grow. And we add to those, we hope, we hope God uses it to add to those who are being saved, not just growing bigger, but but at an invisible level, adding to the kingdom of God. Right? So the first church, when it started, it started with this huge event, Pentecost. And in one day, 3,000, I think it was 3,000 men became believers and their wives and their families would join them and that was the start of the early church. So you're talking about at least 3,000 but but probably more like six to 9,000, 10,000. That was the start of the church. The first church was a mega church and it says in the Bible that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to meeting in homes, to singing, to worship, to hanging out together, right? And And then it says at the end of this, they describe all that, at the end of it, the last verse described in the church says this, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Not the Lord added to their fellowship. It's not just that. Those who were being saved. Those who were receiving Christ as the forgiver of their sins, the leader of their life, and starting to join in this, this God community. Together, this faith community. Each day, God added to those to those numbers. And that's the dream. That's what we've always wanted for crosswinds. Not just to get bigger, but to add to the numbers of those being being saved. Now I have high confidence numeric growth is God's dream for us. And this is kind of important when you're doing dreams. Is this my dream or is this God's dream? Right? By the way, fifteen hundred would be great when I go to pastors' conferences, wouldn't it? Right, hey Doug, so you know, how's your church doing? <laughs> we grew by a thousand in the last ten years, you know, and you know, Whose kingdom is that? Who gets merit badges for that kind of thing? But I think numeric growth, it mean, won't necessarily be 1,000, but is God's dream for us. Even more importantly is those who are being saved. Right, but let me tell you why I think those things are God's dreams for us. It's because when Peter, this is long after. By long after, I mean probably 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years afterwards. Peter is writing Second Peter, a letter. And he's responding to some questions. And one of the questions people are asking is, what happened? Jesus said he was coming back soon. Why hasn't he returned? This has been the promise. We know he came back from the dead. Some of us even saw him, but we haven't seen him since. And he said he was coming back, and we're almost, we're getting old. And where is he? And so Peter writes back to this concern of why Jesus hasn't come back yet. And by the way, we're 2,000 years later now, and we're asked, where's Jesus? Some of the people thought it was yesterday. Right? Did you guys catch that in the news? That it was supposed to be the end? i I didn't cancel any services. Because you got to remember that when anybody says tomorrow or this day or that day, you can almost guarantee that will not be the day, right? Because Jesus said, "No one knows. No, no one knows the time or the day or the place." But here's what we do know: we know why the delay. Here's what Peter says: He said, "But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends: a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day." Which means if God comes back in a week, it's seven thousand years. But not really. But could be. We don't know. We don't, time is different for God than it is for us. So he's saying, you're concerned that he's not coming back soon, but you're thinking soon on your timetable, not God's timetable. God's timetable is pretty big, and it's kind of hidden from us. The Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Okay, now I want you to think about this for a moment. How many of you, I'm want to do a hand raise on this if you're a follower of Christ? How many of you go, man, if Jesus would come back today... That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Right? A bunch of us. Good. How many of you go, but part of me would not like it? On, raise those hands high. Hold them. My mind's up. All right. Why? You're not ready. Okay, good. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> Why else? Because you know so many people, and your heart's breaking that you go, they haven't crossed that line. They're not right with God. They're not not those who we are confident are being saved. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, hey, I'm being patient for your sake. Yes, there's going to be an eternal gathering in heaven. But I'm not in a rush. I'm being patient for your sake. And here's what he says. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anyone to miss out. But he wants everyone to change their minds. He wants everyone to repent and follow and become those who are being saved and and the reason Christ isn't coming back today maybe today but the reason he's waiting at least this long is because he's waiting for more and that reveals the heart of God he wants more and that informs the church of what we should be about he wants more we doesn't, he, he is here in us now he doesn't have to come, we are him in this world Jesus says and so let's be a part of of that. So what will we do? Well, well, we'll pray, we'll plan, we'll, I hope, we'll love people who are far from God, we'll connect with them in authentic relationships, and I hope you use this church as a tool. I hope it's so compelling and um, contagious that you'll, you can't help but invite them to church. Oh, I want you to learn more. Come to my church. And if, by the way, if our church is the right one, invite them to another church or send them to another church. if You think it's a better church for them. That's I don't care. But get them involved in a place where they can hear the good news and and learn to articulate as best you can yourself, right? And then the last thing we're going to do is shine. And this is part of the the, the other half of the message. Besides having the right message, we're going to do the right things. Here's what Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5. He said, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it underneath a basket, right? We put put our lights in the the ceiling to shine down so the bugs can gather. How many saw bugs today on the screen? I was like bugs distracted. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. You put it up high. In the same way, and this is this point, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Right? So it's important that we that we act lovingly with good deeds to the world that we have the message of love and we have the truth. And 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 that we so and that will help us to be like the early church where God adds to our numbers those who are being saved every day. So that's God's dream. I think my our dream for our church in the next ten years. I hope, I pray, we grow bigger, right? Behave number two, that our small group ministry grows to a hundred. This is dumb dog. grows to a hundred small groups with over a thousand participants in every quadrant of Rochester and its surrounding towns, right? So that so that if you live in Byron, you don't have to come to Rochester. If you live in Pine Island, you don't have to come come here. You know, if you live in Zimbabwe, you're still on your own. You're just too far away. And <laughs> Behague number two is, a th- you know, 100 small groups. If there's 10 in each one, that's 1,000 people, right? So let me put it in a better way, a smarter way. God willing, dream number two is that we grow smaller. Number one was we grow bigger. Number two is we grow smaller. That as we grow larger numerically, we grow smaller for the sake of being connected, right? The problem with real large churches is nobody knows each other. You don't feel connected. That's the challenge that that they face, and I think this is the way that that God has actually structured things over and over and over again. So you look at the example of Jesus. He had hundreds of followers. Maybe he didn't know that during his life he had hundreds of followers, but he had twelve disciples. He's for, the first thing he did was form a small group. Twelve disciples, and then three of them were his closest friends. Three of them he heavily invested in. You know, and I, I can just imagine it. Hey, I'm going to go up the mountain. I only want to take three of you with me. Let me think who it is. And the other guys are going, oh, I know it's going to be Peter, James, and John. He always takes them, right? And he goes, yeah, okay, Peter, James, and John. Let's go up together. And he's at peace with that kind of a moment that I have some closer friendships, and then I have some other closer friendships, and then I have the community that I relate with, right? <laughs> then there's an example of the early church that we just talked about. 3,000 men become Christians in a single day But they met in homes. They didn't even have a big place. Maybe they met outdoors or something. You don't ever really find out where they actually met, but they didn't have a building to go to. So they were meeting in homes. And I'm just guessing that none of their homes held 3,000 to 10,000 people, right? More like 10, 12, 8, 6, whatever it is. And they met in homes, and that's where they had the Lord's Supper. That's where they worship. And somehow they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which means they heard the apostles teach. It was probably open-air kinds of stuff right, where the guy's just speaking on top of a, standing on a, on a stone fence and preaching to everybody. Hey, Peter, today, here's Peter, hey, Pete, go, kind of a moment, so, so they broke it down because they had to into smaller groups. Well, why is it that way? And by the way, even the structure of our society, right, there's our nation, our state, our county, and you get down to it, we end up in our families, right, and your family's your closest unit, that's how you feel most connected to everything, And so it's the same way. The reason that we're structured that way is because our relational capacity is limited. We're we're kind of teasing 500 for an attendance number right now, right, over a weekend. I don't know all your names. First of all, you take turns coming. It's just not fair. (laughs) Right? Let's get on a regular rotation. Like, if you could go for, like, four out of five, that would really help just solidify instead of one out of six. Okay? That would be much better. All right? For... But we're all limited relational. We can't have that many close relationships, right? And so, so part of the small group thing, or you know, you're never going to do that here. Get it filled. It's it's to find those people that you have relationships with, because it's only in the context of a, of a smaller circle, right? Twelve, three. You're going to find the relationships that are deep, where you where you love and you are loved, where you know other people and you are known, where you where you take the risk to challenge someone lovingly and you receive challenge from others openly. That takes trust. Those take relationship. the those are the places we we grow. We grow best in the context of these kind of deep, honest, transparent relationships. See, here's the thing. I I was telling Lori the other day, you know, I, I said, you know, after 20 years of speaking at Crosswinds where I keep on revealing transparency to you guys' stuff about me, telling you the truth, right? Sometimes I've crossed the line, like, Doug, that was TMI, right? You've had those moments. And other times where you you go, that was appropriate, good, thank you, you opened the door for me, whatever, that's the, the goal. I told Lori, I said, you know, I don't think I have any secrets. I mean, there's things that we keep confidential because they're sacred things, but I don't think I have any secrets. It is such a great way to live. It is so freeing to be who you are all the time and to be known for who you really are. And, and I have the luxury of this stage, and I get to do it with all of you, but there's even a closer group that get to know even the confidential things, you know, that, that aren't secrets. But I'm just saying this, everybody needs that. And you're not going to get it in a group of 500 people or f- 150 people. It's going to be in a smaller context, and I'm going to go another step and say, you probably won't get that in your first small group. But what I hope you get out of is what I'm going to call great friends, right? So I've thought about this a little bit. Sometimes I hear people say, that person is my best friend. I've always hated the phrase best friend because it means you only get one of them, <laughs> right? And I want more. So so I go with the phrase, and i just come up with this recently. There's been people in my life who have been great friends. There's lo- a group of them. Some of you are here. You're, you you know, I'm not just your pastor. You're one of my great friends. And the people have been my great friends in my life and get me through chapters. Those people are it's a small group, right? But, but they're my advisors and my counsel. Those are the people I'm absolutely transparent with because they're my, they're great friends. I want that for you. Small groups is one of the best ways to get them. It's a testing ground to find. But out of that small group, I hope you might make one or two great friends. And then my, my real dream is that you find your church within the church, right? Five, six, eight people. They may be in your small group right now. They may not be in your small group. But, but they, over time, you discover them. You go, you know, I'm in this small group right now. But I have my personal church. And maybe it's identical with your small group. Good for you. But I have my personal church within the church. People who know me, who love me, who can challenge me, who I celebrate and they celebrate me. That's that's our dream for you. So the larger we grow, the more challenging it is to live small. Let's, every church faces this challenge. They grow bigger. They grow. What will we do? We'll pray. We'll plan. We'll develop leaders. That's Jeff's job, right? That's what we hired him for, right? And we will be pushy about small groups. We're on a good roll. We've always been pushy about small groups. All right, God willing dream is we grow smaller. Behag number three, dug moment here, that we send 25 mission trips near and far each year, 25 mission trips, that we open a food shelf, a woman's shelter, and a car repair ministry for single moms. (laughs) Right, in the next 10 years, right? It's very specific. It's very audacious. It's very hairy, (laughs) right? So here's here's the God willing dream that we'll have dirty hands from serving, and it's normal for us. The the cross ones is marked by it's just normal to see people's hands are stained from serving. They're dirty. They get, they, we we get, and and where it comes from is the example of Jesus. His hands were stained with his own blood, right? His He put on the serving towel and washed the disciples' feet. And he told us in Matthew 25, you can go read it for yourself, he made it very clear that caring about the least of these, people without what you have in need, is not optional. It's actually an indicator of God's love in our lives. Jesus says, by this I'm going to know who you are, that you got stained hands from serving and caring about others. We, we want to be that kind of church. So that's why we're doing Hurricane and Belize and why we send mission trips and why we do things in the church. And, and we want people whose hands are stained. They get stained with color crayons and paints in the children's ministry. They get stained with dirt from people who work in the, in the yard at church. The people in the nursery, never mind. Um, <laughs> their hands get dirty too, right? So what are we going to do? We're going we're to pray, we're going to plan, We're going to develop leaders for helping us to all serve together. It's called teams. And we're going to create opportunities. We don't even know what they're going to look like. I can't say 25 this or 10 that or 1 that. Opportunities are going to come and we're going to take advantage of them. And that's our dream, that we have hands that are stained from serving and that it's normal here. Dream number four doesn't have an audacious goal to it because this didn't work, but it's what I want to be true for us, that we fail boldly. That it's okay to try something and not succeed at Crosswinds, right? Now, you don't do it on purpose. There's no room for that. But that we try things that we're not afraid. I don't want to miss opportunity because we're afraid to fail. I don't want to have the regret of safety. I don't want to become someone who's so protective of what we have that we can't risk it anymore. You know, when, when, when we started the church, we had nothing. And now we have this building and yard, and we have, the bank owns it with us, I know that. But but we have these people and it's very easy to become pro- protector of it rather than using it and leveraging it. it's the same thing in, in, in with Lori. I mean, when we were young, without children, without a house, without a car payment, a house payment, or any of those kinds of responsibilities, without thinking about oh, we're going to retire someday, all those kind of stuff, we were reckless <laughs> we just we just did whatever we wanted to. we went wherever we wanted to. We traveled the world kind of I mean we, we gave two years away in the Dominican Republic, you know the, my our parents were going, are you stupid? <laughs> You've, you just finished college, and you're going to go, do what? You know? Well, guess what? We had nothing. It didn't matter. We go, if we fail, what did we lose? Nothing. So we had no fear, right? And when we started this church, we started with the exact same attitude. We owned nothing. We had no fear. We left our jobs to start. People took out mortgages to start this church on their second mortgage. They were fearless, we're risking it, and I just don't want to be the guys who always play it safe. Now we don't want to we don't want to fail on purpose, and we don't want to be stupid. But to accomplish great things, we will have to endure attempts that weren't so great, and we have to have grace. And we're and we're not going to repeat it. We're going to learn from it and do something different and try again in another way. So what we do, we'll we'll pray, we'll plan, we'll screw up, and we'll try again. That's the plan. Okay. Next one, the last one. The God willing, dream number five is that. That we change, that we grow, right? Deeper in love with God and each other. Better character, more obedient, more becoming the people God made us to be, and that we'll grow in the knowledge of God. And Romans 12:2 says this is exactly what God wants for us. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't be conformed by the what this world. And by the way, you get data from the world all the time. We all do. Instead, let God transform you. Help you become the, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It starts here. Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now ask this question. Do you want that? Don't you? Don't you want God's perfect, if it really is, good and perfect and pleasing? If he really wants your best, don't you want his will in your life? Can you trust him for that? Will you seek it and pursue it. Now, when, when people talk about this stuff, they think, and we need to educate people, right? We need to give them more information. And it's true, but information is only for the sake of transformation. We talked about this last week. Have you ever met somebody who knows all the Bible, but they're still really grumpy, unpleasant to be around miserable people? And the answer, if you've been to church, the answer is Yes. It's, it's just true, and we don't like that. You can learn a bunch of stuff and not transform. We are utilitarian about learning. We are purpose-driven that we want God not only to give us his word, but transform us by it, right? And it's not just, it's not just the Bible. It's information that's grounded on the Bible, and it includes truth that is true because all truth is God's truth. So those of you who are doing the splits over science and faith and you feel uncomfortable, anything that is true in science because that's God's world. He created it. He created it to go the way it goes. Anything that's true scientifically, if it's really, really true, good science, then it's God's truth. Because we learn God's truth through, through the Bible and then general revelation, which is the world and how it's made and how it runs. So and, and when we learn through experiences, if you're not learning through experiences, then you're not paying attention. Pay attention, right? So transformation is simply becoming the person God made me to be. Sometimes when I hear people talk about being spiritual these days it's sort of like well that person's really deep and they're poetic and they think they're reflective and that's spiritual can i tell you something that's not spiritual that's just being deep and reflective that's pausing before you say your sentence that's speaking in hushed tones it's drama it's weird sometimes right so so spiritual is becoming the person god made you to be everything else is pseudo-spirituality and by the way, everybody's spiritual because you're made in the image of God. Every human being is a spiritual person. They may be ignoring that part of who they are, but they're all, we are all spiritual. You can't get away from it. It is who, how, and what you are. You are not body. You are spiritual. Right? You know this because you throw away your fingernail clippings. It used to be you, but it's not now. <laughs> you know that's not you. You're something bigger and better than that. So what will we do? We'll pray. See, if you learn nothing else, you learned it's okay to throw away your fingernail clippings. What will we do? We'll pray, we'll plan, we will teach, and we will tell the truth in effort not to become smart, but to become who God made us to be. Because at my core, and I've said this forever, and I'll probably say it till I die, I don't want to be the same guy in 10 years. Because I know me. I don't want to be short-tempered. I don't want to be quick to judge. I don't want to be... Afraid. I want to trust. I want to grow. I want to know. I want to learn. I want to become. I hope you want that. Otherwise, going to church is just a game. So the dream dream number five is that we that we change and that we grow. It's part of they all fit together too, right? Okay. So here's my question of the day. Do you share the dream? Those of you especially who go to Crosswinds. Are you in for the next 10? Can we work for these things? Or are you sitting there right now going, hmm, hmm, I don't know. So before we're 30, let's let's grow bigger and smaller. Let's get our hands stained by serving in teams. Let's allow for some failing. I'd appreciate it. (laughs) Let's grow into the people God dreams of us to be each of us by the way when you look at that list is there one is there one that God goes this is what i want you to focus on right now in your life let's pray god thank you thank you for for starting this movement of yours that we call christianity God, for those of us who feel like our names have been added to those who are being saved, we are so grateful. For those who are on the outside looking in, God, we we plead with you for them. You would reveal yourself to them in a way that is irresistible. God, we give you this next 10 years at Crosswinds. Help us to be the very church that you want us to be. In Christ's name. Amen.